Okay, three, two, one. Hey, hey guys. guys. Um, welcome. I'm going to do it this time. Welcome back to Opinionated and Underrated. I'm Charlotte. I think you said I'm Ellen. <laughs> I'm Charlotte. And I'm Ellen. And we are currently in a car. Today, we're thinking, right, where do you listen to your podcast the most? In the car. In the car. So what are we doing? In the car. Wait, what? <laughs> driving and podcasting because that's how it's done and it's also got nothing to do with the fact that our next lesson starts in 25 minutes listen the people ask the people get and although we are busy 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 <laughs> a-level students we love you and we'll deliver yeah we speed yeah speed bump we also love the sound of our very, our own voice so today the topic we're talking about is body anxiety yeah. growing up with a body what that does to your psyche that kind of thing which sounds a bit base, but I think is just one of those, again, quite a uniquely feminine experience. That's the lens that we're going to be taking anyway. Um, I think we can tell you that the reason this conversation has been prompted is because we... Um, so we're part of the Feminist Society at our school and we interact quite a lot with younger students. And today we had a whole talk about a uniform policy. It got quite emotional. Um, it was very, very impactful. I was in te- like intensely proud of them. But um, it was just such like a... It just I, f- I feel like we're go- again going around in circles. Well, I'm going into a reverse bay park, so I need to keep talking. <laughs> Ellis parking. Um, so I think growing up, I don't know if this is just me, but I was very hyper aware of my body from a ridiculously young age. Yeah, no, for sure. I think to be fair, I think I'm definitely um, lucky in the sense that, like, okay, maybe my feelings weren't overwhelmingly negative, but that did not exempt me from the like the awareness of it, right? Yeah, completely. I think one of my earliest memories is when I was like seven years old, a little three-year-old boy asking me why there was a baby in my tummy. Oh, what? And obviously, you know, as a child, he didn't he didn't mean anything by it. But I just, I I don't think I ever let go of that. And I was always, I always felt like just because I was a chubbier kid, that had to be my personality. That had to be my defining factor. I really, really felt like um, that was just a big part of who I was. Which is really insane because you never you never look at a skinny person and be like their personality is being skinny. skinny. Like it's just not the same. Well, I also think it's a defense, right? If if you view being fat as inherently bad, you're gonna combat that by like either fully fully rejecting it or like, not embracing it in a way, but sort of like you know you know people say make fun of yourself before people can make fun of you. Yeah. I completely, I think I felt that and I think I wanted to be ahead of the joke before someone made me the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. But then all that constituted was a load of negative self-talk. And I I think when I actually determinedly started to undo all of that, the 21st of April 2020 was when I just, (laughs) remember the date, because I was really like, I've just wasted 15 years of my life like really hating myself and like literally putting my body through a lot. And I was just like, the way I've spoken to my, no wonder I've violently hated myself and I've, to the extent that it's been a struggle to even wake up in the morning and face it again. Mm. Because the way I spoke to myself was so, so negative. It like, I would tell myself I was worthless. I'd write it in my diary. I would tell myself that I didn't deserve anything. And uh, what, if that, that was the only thing I was hearing, I wasn't, I, to be fair, I wasn't really surrounded by a bunch of people who were always like, oh my God, you're so beautiful, you're beautiful, which they shouldn't have to do. But the only thing I was ever hearing about myself was the words that I was saying, and they were horrible. And your self words are the most powerful words. And I think also within this conversation, just looking at how powerful self-talk is, how powerful your mind is, because the way we can convince ourselves some things are true when they are just the complete opposite is scary. It's really, really scary. And if you have the whole 
like all your social media maybe not like explicitly your friends but people and the, and then on top of that your self-talk telling you you're ugly you're worthless it's such a challenge to then like self-talk your way out of it like to rationalize your way out of it and the fact that at 15 you went and made the decision and the fact you were conscious enough to be like oh i've wasted my life because people don't realize that until they get to age 40 like they have kids they they get old they get wrinkly and then they're like fuck what was i doing wasting my time on literally nothing like worrying about my body it sounds so so ridiculous but I just, it's still something that I have to constantly chip away at, unfortunately, because it's just too deep rooted for it to ever be fully gone away. But that's fine. And you learn to live with it. But I was just really like, what does like, okay, sorry, let me let me rephrase this. I think once I started finding my passions and appreciating other things in my life, it became a lot easier to let go of my self image. Once I was like, okay, well, to me life is worth living because I get to make music and I get to have friends then it was like life isn't worth living because I'm pretty or because I'm ugly I think a really good way to combat maybe self-image is to help yourself remember that it is not the be-all and end-all because there are other things that are beautiful but that is the horrible part of something like eating disorder or something like really bad self-image or bad mental health is it like a joy vacuum and it sucks out all your appreciation of all the other little things and all you're just left with at the core of it is the issue itself and if you're being told your whole life as a as a young girl your value is your work like your worth is your body the worth is what you look like the most I guess feminist thing that you can do is have worth beyond that yeah and I'm not saying and this isn't this isn't like um this is like the stereotype of like pretty girls are dumb pretty girls are dumb because we're pretty and we're so so talented so smart um so funny obviously (laughs) and so like to go beyond that and to just understand that life is so much more than that but 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 that's when when that's all you're told like how how you like how do you self-talk your way out of that how did you self-talk your way out of that um again i've said this on the podcast before but i went into lockdown number one so i'm not saying a global pandemic is a situation that everyone's able to replicate but what it did mean is that i was not surrounded by people that I was too jealous of to it's so it was so I was I was such a jealous person and I don't blame myself for it but I just comparison literally ran rife in my friendships which actually made for a lot of toxic situations now that I look back on it obviously but um, I took myself out of an intense environment of comparison and whether that's physical or mental I would say if you can really just try and not let comparison dictate your encounters, that was a huge thing for me. I think also was developing passions. And it was a lot easier to do that in lockdown because I had to get creative because I had nothing else to do. But I took up embroidery. I read political books. I started a podcast. You know, these are things that I did that redirected my mind and helped me appreciate things about my existence that were not physical. I also think it's really important especially on the topic of understanding yourself and comparison the one the one thing that beats comparison is gratitude yes and if you are someone who finds it difficult to feel grateful for things in your life you inevitably will have a miserable existence no matter how good your life is because it's you can't you can't sit and look at your body and feel ugly because you have a role when you know that there are people out there who can't walk or people out there who who can't speak or there are people out there who don't have access to the millions of things that you do and so suddenly all of those things become so insignificant and you start thinking oh my god what was i doing 
or people don't have eyes to judge themselves as intensely as you've yeah. been judging yourself it's just it is literally that kind of thing so how do you find ways to be grateful for things in your life um I focus on what it is that actually I think a lot of the time I'm, I live very like introspectively or I'm very it feels like a lot of what I do is a performance and that's still something I'm working on but I think it's moments where I don't feel like I'm performing and I'm just enjoying myself and it doesn't feel like I'm doing it for the benefit of an imaginary voyeuristic figure and for me that is I I say it a lot but it is stuff like when I'm practicing music and when I'm consistently getting the music wrong and I'm getting really stressed about it but it's the whole process and it's when I'm creating poetry and I'm breaking down everything inside of me and I would on that I on that I would say that even if you don't consider yourself an artistic person or a very literate person even if you write shit poetry still write it even if you scribble on a page and rip it up and burn it still do it like and I can say to that, no, okay, not that I'm not a creative person because I am creative <laughs> and not that I'm not literate because I am. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I don't write poetry and I don't um, practice music. I mean, I love music, but that's a separate thing. But what I do do is um, I journal, but like not in a way that's like, oh, gratitude journaling, as in I do like a cons- a cons- stream of consciousness. A constant stream of consciousness um, in that it's completely judgment free because I was so jealous of all the people that had diaries <laughs> like I never ever kept a diary and a lot of people kept diaries as children but like I and then we'd read back through them it'd be like the funniest stuff like and today Charlie did this and 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 Megan slapped me and the la 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 and I don't know sorry I sorry Megan um but um but I never had that because every time I wrote something, I was so judgmental of my own self voice. Like yeah. I'd write it and I'd be like, oh, cringe. Oh, gross. Like, why am I writing this? Um, and now what I do is I just, I don't let myself stop typing. I don't like writing it like with pen. I just type it. And I don't let this key stop clicking. It's like, it's quite therapeutic because I'm not allowed to like stop typing. So everything in my brain is just like, on this one note and it's got like tiktok sounds that are running in my head or sometimes it's like really lyrical and poetic insightful i don't know like ramblings and i think then once i got all that out of my system i could start journaling and journaling is what i would recommend mm. if you struggle to find gratitude in your life because it just makes you realize everything you have and all so rationally and planned out and kind of makes you really just look at your life and say oh how silly of me yeah absolutely but it's not even a case of you should feel you shouldn't feel guilty or you shouldn't feel like you've like I know that's not what you're saying but you shouldn't feel like you failed yourself as a person or anything because this is all so so intrinsic that we spend our whole lives pursuing joy where we can to try and combat it like ultimately all you can do when you live is enjoy yourself as much as you can um and this all starts so young to loop it back to what sparked this conversation um we were just talking about um misogyny rape culture in schools to our younger feminist peers and you know it was a very emotional very honest very raw conversation about how they were 13 and they feel their bodies are being policed mm-hmm. um and it was just i was we were just thinking where, where where does this all start how what are the effects of this and the answer is that it starts for women so so very young um you speak quite well about the whole blame thing i think on terms of the the blame thing and the the victim blaming what angers me so much about it is how contradictory it is yeah because what happens is we had a generation where it was straight up like straight up 
victim blaming like you you wore this it's your fault then we had the people rebelling it okay and those are the people those are the feminists who are older than us who are in like our parents generation or slightly younger and then what happened is there was a whole culture shift and we started talking about sexual harassment and how it's not our fault and how really it's because these people want to exact some kind of some kind of power onto you that's why they do it okay and now we're aware of that but now what's happening is we've got women in power we've got women in positions of leadership because that's the kind of feminism we we will we work towards right mm. and which is a good thing i'm not saying it's not but what we have is women in power who grew up with that generation who internalized all that all of that misogyny then enacting men's rules so you've got women in power great feminism and yet we're still doing men's agenda men's agendas and this is what hurts the most is when it comes from women in positions of power the misogyny because you always feel like it's harder for you to call it out Mm. um i think if you're experiencing misogyny at the hands of a woman but the thing is it's different because you know it comes from her own internalized misogyny that's been handed down to her by a patriarchal male dominated society it's but it's really hard to see that as it is like when a when a woman is slut shaming you that is such a like dichotomous experience because on the one hand you're like i cannot believe that you're reinforcing this fucked up notion that my body needs to be policed but then on the other hand you're like you feel like your body needs to be policed because we both have the same body when you break it down to parts when women slut shame you it's like it's a different kind of hurt it's kind of like it's 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 a difference between if your dad was like don't wear that then there's like anger right Mm. if your mum's like "Mm, don't wear that it's uh, there's a different deep kind of like shame and sadness that comes with it yes i think that's the key thing is the shame and i think from a school perspective a rape culture in schools perspective that's the issue because the reason there are dress code policies is because you're trying to protect or you're trying to warn young girls about the way that their body body can be viewed in a society and the way that sexualization is going to impact their life and potentially endanger them but it's never broken down like that it's there is so much shame attached to it and the responsibility of experiencing violent sexualization falls on the shoulders of 13 year old girls and what troubles me about it is it's all under the guise of professionalism yes yeah and like this is what's appropriate and we never ever question well what does it mean appropriate what does it mean professional and we the thing is we all know the undercurrent we all know it's because basically our bodies aren't professional because why because our bodies are sexual things Mm. men's bodies are not sexual things our bodies are set and the thing is like especially like growing up as someone who was not super super skinny or super tall who had like you know when you wear a skirt it's going to fit you differently than the people with you know different kind of bodies and so then on top of that you're going to be targeted more or this person isn't and it's all just like what becomes a infighting circle of shame that is being put onto you by people who are supposed to be protecting you and supporting you entirely that and again when it's not broken down for you and the policies the way they're enforced they feel so humiliating Mm. you feel utterly ashamed of yourself you feel like it's but it is it feels dirty because you're looked down on and you're told that you're not projecting yourself in a worthwhile manner and 
again, if you're not able to do this in the safest bubble imaginable for children, surely, how the hell are you going to be prepared or know what to expect when you do actually enter the wider world? And maybe you do encourage, but, but this is what we should be teaching our girls. You're going to, you're going to go out into the world and there's going to be a man who harasses you. But then when you tell them that it's dependent on what clothing they're wearing, you're inherently telling them that if they're wearing a certain type of clothing, then it's probably their fault. Well, that's the con- that's the contradiction of this generation is we've got people running it and teaching us who grew up in a time where it was your fault, but they're telling us it's not our fault, but the actions are not matching up with the words. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing it, but I'm not seeing it. I think it's just a very emotional thing when you think about, as we were saying, how young you become aware of it. Um, I this, think this is why people in society are always like, oh, there's such a big emotional intelligence gap between girls and boys. Because mm. because I've met 11-year-old, 12-year-old girls who know what the word sexualization means and they know that when they get spoken to in a certain way, that's what it is. And it's, you know, a defining factor of their experience growing up as a young woman. Don't meet any 11 or 12-year-old boys who understand so intrinsically the like their role in society or how something out of their control dictates certain things that happen to them like it's just not equatable at all do you think your experience growing up as a girl who had to like experience all of that had an impact on your anxiety outside of that sphere and the way you operate within the world outside of that I think that's a very interesting question because it might maybe it's a reach for some people but personally for me I think it did. I think I'm a very anxious person like in the process of getting a diagnosis. Um and I am incredibly painfully self-aware. I mean a lot of the time now I tell myself I'm being ridiculous and that there's no need to look into it that much and that you know I can regulate and calm myself down. But I think upon reflection like for a good 15 years of my life I was just like navel gazing but to the absolute extreme like um and it would make me so anxious because no one should be thinking about themselves in that much detail that obsessively well yeah one is it navel gazing and and self-reflection self-reflection and then what is it just anxiety i know i know i just sometimes you just have these like compulsive thoughts and you're like that isn't actually normal <laughs> what was it you saying like i don't know because basically charlotte's gotten into meditation because what you struggle with the sleep i right? str- i've always struggled with sleep it takes me ages to get off to sleep because a lot of the time like my brain is racing at a million miles an hour and as a younger child i'm not still a child well not for long but as a child i and like had a lot of insomnia and i'd wake up all the time and so i discovered sleep meditation a bit younger than charlotte but my sleep meditation has now like i don't really get that anymore i can i can sleep good but my meditation then turned into asmr because that's what i fall asleep to and after your discovery of meditation what were you saying i was like elif i think i've just discovered sleep meditation and it's crazy like i feel like i can finally shut my brain up and elif was like charlotte no one can just be at peace with their thoughts. Everyone has to shut their mind up. I was like, I don't think that's how it works. Who can just close their eyes and go to sleep? Lots of people. <laughs> well, good for them. Yeah. You have to find what works. Yeah. And I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. But again, that is the thing. Uh, again, a bit of a, a reach of a of a link for me to make right now. But as young women, like you become so self-aware you have to tune in so intensely to your mind and your body and the way you feel because experiences of this kind of thing start young younger than you even have the words to define 
what they mean and so do you think it's inappropriate to be teaching people as young as or girls particularly as young as 11 and 12 what rape is i don't know i just i i think it's important that we talk about all of the stuff leading up to it but i think if we talk to 11 year old well i say that 11 year olds can get raped and 11 year olds do get raped so it's like do we need to tell them about it in order to protect them but i know that had i been well did i know about rape as an 11 year old what year are you in year seven oh no yes okay yes yes 100 sorry i think for me 11 year olds are so young but i i was so there i was so ready to learn about that but is that just you maybe but everyone sh- everyone should be like me i think i think what you said about the steps leading up to it is right i mean i that's why we do consent talk so much it's laying the groundwork for people to understand what a violation is i just know that like i'd pro- it maybe if i wasn't quite there yet it might just traumatize me a little bit yeah i think i understand the danger of maybe over and that's the that's the issue everyone's so terrified of overexposing our kids to these horrors of society but if you don't do it soon enough they'll be exposed to it because they'll be a victim of it it's either going to be us or it's going to be some strange person yeah a predator a predator exactly and uh, but it it is uncomfortable to have to be the one to like to break the news because they're going to get it eventually right they're going to have to like understand that at some point it's just whether you want to be the person to explain it I think if I'd have, uh, I think growing up, I felt so isolated and alone. And the reason when, the, the time I really stepped into my power as such, when I really stepped into my power was when I started, like, as much as everyone makes fun of those, like, Instagram girls, I think it was the first time I had a community of like-minded people that I could see my own views and experiences reflected in. So I think social media, I'm, I talk about the horrors of it so, so much, but I do think it was very, very, like, pivotal in my like understanding of things like body image and my relationship with myself and I'm not that's not where it should start and end but seeing those I have issues with it but do seeing chubbier women like posing with their belly rolls out was at one point in my life quite impactful on the way that I viewed my body isn't that so interesting how one tool the tool being social media can cause so much anxiety and discomfort for some people and yet serve as such a safe and comfortable space for other people and how interesting that the one thing that may cause that may be also the one thing that helps to solve it well it works algorithmically that's the issue how the hell are you trusting a 12 year old to cure oh my battery's low but how the hell are you trusting a 12 year old to curate their own content you can't you cannot i think algorithms are way too personal i don't know if that's a contradiction virtual opinion but i think especially for younger social media users if the age is 13 and they're allowed to be on it at 13 that's way too much trust to give a 13 year old like to curate their own content they can just create a page full of body checks and all of that like that's really dangerous i think it's really important to remember that we are obviously all just individuals moving through the same really quite scary space but i think it's really interesting when we look at these quite universal things that kind of link the feminine experience together um and my advice to those struggling with their body image and my advice to those struggling with anxiety in general um and scrolling and scrolling to the depths of time um just take a second breathe maybe delete instagram i i would recommend um do a bit of journaling pop on some sleep meditation because there is so much out there yeah I think my most vital message is that you need to remember that the way you talk to yourself defines so much in your life. Not only the way you feel, but the way others perceive you. And if you've noticed at a lower point in your life, you were surrounded by people that didn't make you feel good. And then suddenly you 
I don't know, projected yourself high and suddenly all your friends were great. There's a reason why that shift occurred. Be kind to yourself because other people aren't going to be. And speak things that you want. Because if you say you're ugly and worthless, you're going to be ugly and worthless. And if you say you're going to be unsuccessful, you will be unsuccessful. You have nothing to lose by being kind to yourself. You have everything to gain. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. The bell just went. We're going to be late. <laughs> Safe by the bell. Safe by the bell. Um, We'd love to do more of this, by the way. I think it's best when we just keep it casual. We don't try and streamline our conversations too much. We will see you when we see you. Yeah, absolutely. Bye, Bye guys. guys. <laughs> two guys, one mic. <laughs>